0: Me. From Studio P in Sausalito, the home of the hit, it's time for.
1: Sucker Tash.
0: Yes, Sucker Tash, the comedy soundcast soundcast featuring snippets from comedy. Soundcast. And also interviews with comedians, comedian soundcasters, and other showbiz folk. And now, here's your host, internationally recognized comedy soundcast soundcaster, Mark. Hershaw. Mark Hershaw.
2: Mark Hershaw. For the final time in 2021, dear listener, hello from me, your every other weekly host, Mark Hershaw. Since you downloaded or are streaming this, you're probably not surprised that you're listening to Succotash, the Comedy Soundcast Soundcast, and this is episode 285, our last installment of the year. Did you miss last week's penultimate episode, number 284? With our co host Tyson Sainer, it's not too late to flag it down and shove it into your ears. He featured a quartet of clippery from such soundcasts as Web Crawlers, Triple Click, No Dogs in Space, and How Did This Get Made? You can grab it from any number of popular soundcast download and streaming destinations, including Apple and Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Amazon Music, SoundCloud, the Audible app, YouTube, or our favorite haunt, namely this show's home site, SuckatashShow.com. I was thinking of doing some kind of countdown for this year-end episode, but have already contributed to Vulture.com's This Year in Comedy Podcasts countdown reviews. You can read my write-up on Smartless that came in at number nine. I feel I've already slogged through a bunch of shows, so instead I've plucked four clips from shows that really don't have much to do with one another. They're not even necessarily comedy soundcasts, but they are entertaining as hell. And I don't believe we've ever featured any of them before. Hang on for samplings from Film Threat, Hysteria, Majoring and Everything, and You're Wrong About. Our last show of the year is appropriately sponsored by Henderson's Pants' timely Old Lang Slacks. Reflecting back on the year the second year in which the COVID pandemic has become a regular participant in everyone's lives, either directly or indirectly, I'm curious to see if we here at Suckatash, Tyson, Bill Haywatt, Joe Polino, and the rest of the staff that keep this dreadnought trundling along should be looking to change anything to increase the interest in or the enjoyment of the show. COVID kicked us in the rear and got us to finally make Suckatash a regular weekly show, dropping pretty much every Tuesday. And although we're still describing ourselves as, quote, the comedy soundcast soundcast, unquote, both Tyson and I have wandered a bit afield from that in our choice of clips to feature. The shows are roughly a half hour long now, except when there's an interview, which tends to go a bit longer. And we are still sponsor free, not by choice, with the exception of our fake benefactor, Henderson's Pants. So what do you think? Are you happy with what you're getting for free here? Do you want more clips per show? less clips, more interviews, more commercials. Yeah, right. We also have a Patreon page waiting in the wings that you would be able to get some kind of bonus content and also help to support the show. Should we fire that up? Do you want Succotash merch, personal appearances, our ATM pin numbers? Just let us know. You can email either of us at Mark at or Tyson at SuccotashShow.com. You can ping us on the socials, at Succotash Show on both Twitter and Instagram. Or you can call the Succotash Show and Runaway Truck Ramp Hotline at 1-818-921-7212 and leave a message about either comedy soundcasts or something you'd like to hear on the show. However you want to reach out, we'd love to hear what you think about the show as we head for our 11th year of soundcasting and how we can make things better or at least different. All right, enough said. Let's launch into this farewell to 2021 hassle of clips, shall we? The first clip comes from a show hosted by an old friend of Succotash, Chris Gore. He used to host a show called Pod Crash, in which he featured himself guesting on other people's soundcasts that he would turn around and play on his show. But Chris's first love was as the publisher and editor of Film Threat Magazine years ago. A great alternative look at movies and the film business which went through a number of ups and downs and it went out of publication but Chris then resurrected it as both a website and a soundcast our clip comes from the film threat episode that dropped just last week on December 20th in which Chris and his guests discussed isolation an anthology of nine tales of terror focused on people in isolation as they attempt to survive a deadly global outbreak sound familiar Chris's guests are filmmakers Nathan Crooker and Larry Fessenden and in this clip they talk about how the project came about and how they started putting it all together.
3: Um, Nathan if you could start and just tell me like how did you find this collection of filmmakers?
1: Sure yeah so you know originally I was supposed to do a feature and um, it didn't happen obviously because of the pandemic and I was talking to a friend he's like you know think bigger if you're because I was going to do a short on my own I was like you know what let me let me think a little bit bigger. And what I ended up doing was, I bet I could bring a really talented group of filmmakers together and do a bunch of shorts. I mean, they're a little bit simpler to write. The idea we can kind of uh, hone it in. And and what I ended up doing was, you know, I said, okay, that's what I'm going to do. So I set out to find these filmmakers, and I used, uh, I called agents from you know the big, the top agents, and they took my call and they put me in touch with these amazing directors in the horror genre, and um, also reached out to people on. Um, Facebook and Instagram, I talked to Julian, who just has the deep house, you know, I spoke to a lot of people that I would probably never speak to, you know, had I not been ended up in the pandemic, it was really cool to reach out to them. But at the end of the day, they had to shoot on 4k cameras, they had to shoot in the, you know, lockdown. Uh, location that we're in and they had to use who was in the lockdown with them because remember this was at the height of it this was in May this was back when nobody was doing anything and going out the streets were empty Um, so once I was able to find them and it took me a good two months I mean over the course of that two months I was starting to line everyone up but again you know they had a trust in me to make this film so I got very lucky with whom I was able to work with I mean you know, Larry, Bobby Rowe. you know, we got a lot of big names in the genre, but I also wanted to introduce some, you know, some newer names are going to be coming up, you know, like Alex Austin, Keir Seward, and Alexandra Neary, like these younger filmmakers that have just done shorts, but are really, really incredible. So, you know, that's kind of how it started, Um, you know, just sort of really whittling it down to who actually could do this, and then trying to find, you know, the stories that would really match, you know, what, what the world that I created that I wanted to to create because I didn't want it to be exactly like what was happening right now. Nobody wants to watch that, you know?
3: But, but it's not, like I say, it's like this far from, you know, to the reality, right? I mean, it's fiction, but one of the stories with the children, I mean, I, I, that, that could happen, right? Like that was horrifying. There are two children that are kind of, uh, you know, their mother's passed away. The father is gone out for help. We don't know where he is. I don't want to ruin anything, but like, and it's just two little kids and they're by themselves in a house with like this, it kicks off with like this message from their dad, you know, that's just horrific. I mean, that one just, that one really hit me. I mean, they all were powerful in their own way. Larry's back. Let's see if Larry got, Hey Larry, can, can you hear us? Oh yeah. Sound oh, perfect. you sound perfect now. Now your short kicks off. It's the, it's the first one and it is, um, it's terrifying. I mean, it's like uh, and I'm thinking like also I'm watching like some of the some of the shots. I'm going like, oh, that was a wonder. Like, there is no way that he did multiple takes of, you know, tossing cement blocks into a lake like in a snowstorm. <laughs> oh my God. So tell me about like, you know, how, how you got in touch with Nathan and like how your segment came together. Uh, Nathan and I had been talking actually about another project of his. And so I guess I was on his mind and then he came up with this idea and he just called me and said, would you want to do it? And uh, I couldn't think of anything more fun because my son is interested in filmmaking. So he was able to DP, my wife's an art director. So, and we have a lot of equipment lying around the house. So of course I said, sure, let's do it. And uh, I wrote it fairly quickly. And then it was just fun. The three, my little family it's really just the three of us we you know i made a very specific schedule we got up at nine in the morning every uh, day for three days and had to make our days and uh, it was really great everybody enjoyed having a purpose as you know this was four months into lockdown and everybody was going nuts and we were having a blast
2: check out film threat especially if you're a fan of somewhat new but obscure, fringy stuff. They cover mainstream titles too, but Chris has a thing for the outliers. The next show I also clipped from last week, an episode of Hysteria, with co-hosts Aaron Ray and Alyssa Mastromonico. Aaron is a political commentator and comedy writer, while Alyssa is a former White House deputy chief of staff. The description of the show on their home site says that they are joined by a, quote, bi-coastal squad of funny, opinionated women to talk through everything from reproductive rights to rom-coms, unquote. Last week in their episode entitled Love Me, It's Christmas, the host teamed up with comedian-actress-writer Naomi Ekberrigan and comedian Megan Gailey to delve into all the wonderful, insane, problematic, magical, bullshit holiday movie tropes, as they put it. This clip has them sifting through the Lifetime holiday movie, The Christmas Setup, a love story featuring two gay male characters played by a real-life gay male couple and a movie mom portrayed by Fran Drescher.
4: So guys, I'm going to give the plot of The mm-hmm. Christmas Setup. The Christmas setup follows the story of New York lawyer Hugo, who heads to Milwaukee with his best friend, Madeline, to spend the holidays with his brother, Aiden, and his mom, Kate. Very important. Kate, played by Fran Drescher. We'll get to that later. She's a fucking queen. Kate, who is also in charge of the local Christmas celebrations. Ever the matchmaker, Kate arranges for Hugo to run into Patrick, Hugo's high school friend and secret crush, who has recently returned after a successful stint in Silicon Valley. Who doesn't have Mm. a successful stint Mm, in Silicon Valley, I Mm. guess.
5: Absolutely. Relatable.
4: As they enjoy the local holiday festivities together, Hugo and Patrick's attraction to each other is undeniable. And it looks as though Kate's Santa-style matchmaking is a success. But as Hugo receives word of a big promotion requiring a move to London, he must decide what is most important to him. In the end, guess what? He chooses love because ain't that the Christmas spirit? (laughs) Mm
1: -hmm. Mm -hmm.
4: Okay. Grace? I'm turning to you first. What were your initial thoughts about this movie? I'll be honest-
5: this is the first lifetime holiday movie I've ever seen. What wow. the fuck? And I know, oh, and shit, I think it girl. was a doozy. I think it was a doozy. I think it was really good. It gave me all the things that I wanted. It gave mm-hmm. me a best friend who didn't have a personality outside of the best friend. Uh-huh. It gave me. It gave me a, a promotion that meant everything to <laughs> the main character. It gave me a lot of hatred for New York City. A lot of yes. hatred. For the mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It gave me the sense that Milwaukee was a small town when the population is <laughs> six hundred thousand people. <laughs> that was that was engaging to me. Um, I really enjoyed it. I absolutely teared up. I think the biggest takeaway, of course, is Queen Fran Drescher, SAG after president, who <laughs> who sends us emails and also <laughs> stars in Lifetime movies as the mom that we all wish we we had.
6: Absolutely, mm-hmm. absolutely. Naomi well okay fun please, fact please please hugo and patrick are played by real life husbands yes ben lewis and blake lee oh okay my god. Oh my yes. God. yes yes that's the layer that you could not not bring to the table i felt the chemistry was electric thank god can you imagine <laughs> being married to someone and then people being like i don't buy it <laughs> so thank god electric um what I also really enjoyed was, I think for this, for me, the best part about this movie is the traveling through time a hundred years earlier, where there was oh. also gay lovers, two men yes. on a train in a train station secretly in love. Um, Megan and I have talked about writing that film, <laughs> that prequel to the Christmas setup, nineteen oh one style, um, and you know, it really told us what matters most of all. In that movie, every single person ends in a relationship. Every and single. It- Every single person, mm-hmm. and so you know, it is the whole point. Is you know, Christmas is nothing unless someone loves you,
1: mm-hmm. and that's
6: such an important message to send to people as they struggle during the dark holidays.
5: <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's giving gay love, it's yeah. giving interracial love. Yes, um, it's giving Fran Drescher and Frank. You know, yep. will they? Won't they? Yes we're getting a deep New York accent in Milwaukee. Um, (laughs) We're finding out that Milwaukee has a flourishing LGBTQ plus um, community. And Naomi and I first watched this movie in June, I think. (laughs) uh, Because Lifetime was doing like a Christmas in July. And so we had to watch it a bit before that and got to interview Fran and (gasps) the two gentlemen that played Patrick and Hugo. And they are so lovely and and all of these movies are filmed like in the summertime, yeah. Uh-huh, and uh-huh. You're, you, you, it, it fully transports you. You, it, it, it's, it's timeless. Even though we watched it in June, it was probably filmed in May. You're like, I'm in Milwaukee, and it's December twenty second. And is there a place I'd rather be? Maybe, but um, <laughs> when when you're seeing it, you go at ah, this train station. Yeah, the historical elements. Uh, it's just a really feel good and i know you mentioned that these movies tend to be problematic and this one sort of bucks that trend it does um and and naomi and i contest on our podcast too we don't really get it in this but lifetime's also very a cab so <laughs> oh. we've got yeah. a lot of breaking of barriers on on the lifetime network and specifically with this holiday film
2: There's a taste of hysteria, which you can find pretty much everywhere soundcasts are found. You can also find your way to their home site by clicking through to our home site, succotashshow.com, and then finding and clicking on the hysteria title on our blog post for this episode. We've got more clips dead ahead right after this completely unimportant message from our thoroughly fake sponsor. Henderson's Pants.
0: Hello, friends, and Happy New Year from Henderson's Pants. As you set out with a freshly minted batch of resolutions for the new year, bound and determined to make at least some of them stick, be sure that one of those vows is to get yourself a pair of Old Lang Slacks from Henderson's. Crafted from recycled calendar pages from last year, Old Lang Slacks are then reinforced with the resolve of those who failed to follow through on their plans to better themselves. Double stitched with the pain of failure, These pants are designed to stay with you throughout the coming year while keeping you on track when it comes to fulfilling those oh-so-important obligations to yourself. Here's the secret. Thanks to microchip technology, your old Lang Slacks are fully wired and ready for you to program in up to one dozen New Year's resolutions or 18 heartfelt promises not to let others down. Each time the pants sense that you're straying off that old resolution path, you'll get a jolt in your nether region that'll make you wish you hadn't slipped into that pair of the most comfortable pants you've ever owned. But too late now. Another vital feature of Henderson's Old Lang Slacks is the accountability time lock zipper and clasp. These pants won't come off until your resolutions are complete. Originally designed for parole violators, deadbeat dads, and political candidates, Henderson's old lang slacks are available to ring in the new year at a church, synagogue, or mosque near you. That's Henderson's, makers of fine hair shirts and iron maidens since 1206 A.D.
2: And now, back to Sagatash! Thanks Bill Haywat, and Happy New Year to you, buddy. Are you one of those people who are probably doing too many things in your life and having trouble focusing on how to put everything in perspective? Andrea Jones Rui not only has a Ph.D. after her name, but she is also the host of Majoring in Everything, a soundcast that is for people who don't know what to do with their lives because they are interested in too many things, and especially things that seem unrelated, as their website puts it. Her guest on the show's third episode, which dropped a couple of weeks ago, entitled How Science and Stories Will Save the World, featuring Dr. Moira McTeer. She is described as an astrophysicist, folklorist, science communicator, and all-around hero. In our clip, Dr. McTeer talks about how she likes to trick people into learning and how to teach yourself in sort of the same way. I do the classic
7: sage-on-a-stage type of science communication often, but my favorite way is to trick people into learning without them realizing it. Um, so when you when you read fiction or when you watch a TV show, you kind of implicitly pick up on the rules of that world. When you watch Buffy the Vampire Slayer, for example, you learn about the history of the Slayer and the Watcher's Council, and you, you pick up those clues when I build worlds that are based on facts, the things that I want people to pick up are also based on facts. And so they're implicitly absorbing this knowledge about um, you know, what, what makes a world prone to volcanic eruptions and what are the relationships between uh, the, the trends of political science and the environment around you. Because what I want people to start doing is making those connections in the natural world that are based on the fundamental like truths the rules of our of our universe and uh fiction is a good way to do that
8: is the main reason because we get bored when we're just learning (laughs) and being talked at is that i mean what's i I like the idea of being tricked but is that it i mean i'm thinking of an analogy what is it jessica seinfeld like put zucchini in your cookies and get your kids to have vegetables like is that what's going on
7: a little bit yeah part of it is that i i think it's boring to do uh a sage on the stage all the time. Um, There is research that shows that people absorb knowledge better when they're laughing or when they're listening to music or when they're doing art. And so often in these workshops that I teach, I ask people to make artistic representations of the worlds that we build. And I've done this in classes at Columbia too, where I ask people to make representations of a world we build after they solve equations that decide how hot or cold that world should be. And so, yeah, part of it is just that it's more fun, but I think it's also more effective to to get these different, it's not actually different sides of our brain working together, but like the artistic side of ourselves and the scientific sides of ourselves, they really do work better when they work together.
8: So we can actually better understand better retain Mm -hmm. and better share, further share science or something technical if we have the artistic side swirled up in it. I mean, I'm thinking about, and this is, tell me if this is overly simplifying Jurassic park and how it made everyone all of a sudden care about velociraptors (laughs) and like really read research. I mean, I don't research, but like read about velociraptor facts and stuff like that because we thought they were cool not because someone was like well the velociraptor is the whatever
7: no you're totally right people see something in a piece of art and it gets them inspired and it makes them want to learn more Um, also they did a lot of great original research for jurassic park because they had such a massive budget that they could pay research departments in paleontology to uh study old dinosaurs. So the reason we know that dinosaurs are related to chickens now is because the movie Jurassic Park funded that research to figure out how their dinosaurs should realistically walk. And I, I think I read this on like a Tumblr post or something, but one of the people working on the movie saw the scientist's um, model, saw this the simulation of how the dinosaurs walk. And he looked at it and he's like, oh, that looks really familiar. I grew up on a farm. That's how chickens walk. And then, then, then they made the connection.
8: Wow. And that's the actual scientific discovery because some yeah. dude on set was like, oh, I've seen a chicken. Yeah. Wow.
2: It's a fun episode and informative too. So be sure to track down majoring and everything and catch the rest of it as well as the previous two episodes anywhere you can find soundcasts journalist Sarah Marshall has an obsession with the past, particularly those events and people in that past that have gotten kind of a raw deal as far as how people think about them nowadays. So she likes to deep dive her way into those topics with a guest and to try to see if there's a straighter story to be told. Most recently, in an episode of her soundcast, You're Wrong About, entitled Winter Book Club, The Amityville Horror with Jamie Loftus, Sarah tells her guest host Loftus, who is... Also known in soundcasting for her work on *Act Cast*, The Bechtel Cast, and My Year in Mensa, they talk about the Amityville Horror. Is it a haunted house or just big and drafty? And how the tale is actually a Christmas story. Our clip gets into how the book differs from the movie and how that can make quite a difference.
9: We're talking about the Amityville Horror today, which one of the first Things about that I feel like is important to remember given the evidence we have for ghosts in this book is that the movie, which was incredibly successful, one of the top earners of 1979, people Mm -hmm. don't sit around watching it now, but it was giant at the time. Yeah. Has the story take place in what looks like late summer into early fall. And in reality, whatever happened, happened basically right before Christmas into the first days of the new year. And one of the ghostly manifestations, it is a light motif in this book, which I just find so wonderful, is like, it was so cold in the giant house they just bought. How could it be? And it's like, December, it's a giant house, it's on the ocean. <laughs>
10: <laughs> I knew it was actually in December, but it never occurred to me why you would make that logic shift to make that... Wow. When I was putting my Warrens episode together, I just skipped over the Amityville horror entirely, but it was hard to, because I'm so curious about it.
9: Yeah. There are certain books that have been special to me that I go through an experience with. And I'm first, I'm like, okay, I'm going to read this book. Then I'm like, oh, this isn't very good. And then I'm like, oh my God, this is terrible. I can't believe I'm reading this goddamn thing. And I can't believe I'm spending so much time looking at it and thinking about it. And then like at a certain point you break through a wall and you're like, this book is incredible. (laughs) Are you on the side of book good? Here's what I think. I've been thinking about this since we did the true crime episode. Mm -hmm. What does it mean that I grew up reading true crime and why did I find it comforting? And I think for me, the writing style is always kind of the same. Yeah. Very competent, not a lot of flair. And there's usually some kind of template detailing of like the lives of the very normal victims before something terrible happens to them. Yeah. And it always emphasizes how nice things are for them. And it's like Becky Sue was a grade A student and a runner up for homecoming queen whose boyfriend Kirk was detailing a motorcycle that he'd built from parts. They were planning a trip to Cape Cod that summer. And- he was going to tell her he was
10: in love with her <laughs> yes. three days after the event. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you set up the Hallmark movie and then something terrible happens.
9: Yeah, that's like a style that I'm very familiar with. And I think I saw out when I was a teenage girl because I think that there was less reality TV and like reality social media content Mm -hmm. anytime before 10 years ago. And I think there's this thing where people want to just watch other people do normal things. I don't know. Sometimes I get afraid of books
10: because I'm like, I'm going to have to really give my entire brain over to this. And this is like, you know, you don't need to be firing on all synapses to enjoy true crime.
9: Yeah, it really has that going for it. This is just a weird book, kind of in the way Michelle remembers is weird, where Mm -hmm. It's presented very credulously as factual. And then by the time you're done with it, you're like, really? And the publisher published it as nonfiction. And Mm -hmm. you're like, really, though? And, you know, the disclaimer is like, these events are true to the extent that we can verify them. And it's like, well, if someone tells you that, like, green slime suddenly appeared on his walls and he didn't save any, then you can't really verify it. You just have to be like, who knows? He says it happened. <laughs> and it was really cold in that house, wasn't it? <laughs> pretty
10: scary. <laughs> but for some reason, I feel like it was culturally accepted as
9: being pretty real in a way that people didn't really examine, which I kind of right. Think- I don't hate it. It's just weird. Exactly. And then also, this book was incredibly successful. This movie was incredibly successful. Mm -hmm. It created a franchise that's still putting out sequels, by the way. Like Amityville is like an extremely... Yeah. I didn't know this, but there's like 8 billion... Amityville sequels and franchise reboots still. I just knew
10: about like the, there's a Ryan Reynolds one, right? Oh yeah.
9: (laughs) I haven't watched, oh, I want to watch that. (laughs) It's like a bonafide phenomenon. It's up there with Friday the 13th for sure. And I feel like we've probably always tried to commune with Spirits of the Dead. Mm -hmm. But then in the seventies, we have definitely a haunted house boom in media. And also Mm -hmm. as this show has been about a lot of the time, kind of precursor like orchestra tuning up for the satanic panic. The exorcist, the omen, the consumer demand related increase in the supply of exorcists Mm -hmm. available to give you an exorcism in the 1970s. -hmm. This interesting number of narratives, and this is just, and I don't have conclusions about this, but I have a lot of questions.
2: Take a closer listen to You're Wrong About and all the various subjects Sarah and her guests work to get to the bottom of, or at least examine a lot more deeply than you have, most likely. Certainly more than I have. That metallic squealing you can imagine I'm hearing right now is me scraping the bottom of the barrel because I'm out of clips, which means this episode is almost toast. Last order of business for 2021 The Tweet Sack. Hiya Tweety. Hey, this was the year we brought you back to help thank all those peeps that have been good enough to toss at Succotash Show into their socials on Twitter and Instagram. For the last time this year then, here we go. The Jock Talk Podcast. Never explain anything. Brigade Radio 1. Jenny Nicole. Fat Chunk Tunk. Dr. London Smith. Pod Friends. Fascination Street. Misfit Scully. Multiverse of badness web crawlers DC Tweet J. Elvis Weinstein Sensibly sensi- <laughs> Sensibly Cynical 929 Judith Rose Schwartz DAPF Pod Annalise Married Crazy Pod and Vlog Salty Language Pod Wayne Fetterman Floyd R. Billet Antisocial Show Zombie Bacterium Nancy 19 Markness of the Darkness, Chris Tallman, Phil Lerness, Mark Twain Today, Let's Chat Podcast, That Jordan Brady, and Stuart Buckland. And just like that, the ball drops for this most recent year of Succotash, the Comedy Soundcast Soundcast. As long as you're probably putting the finishing touches on your New Year's resolutions, why not pop a note in there to download and listen to this show each and every week of 2022? Heck, go one step further and vow that you're going to rate and review Suckatash on Apple and Google Podcasts. Why not? It's free. It's fun. And I'm begging. Much like I'm begging you to check back in this very same feed next week for Suckatash Epi 286 when Tyson Sainer returns with some more tasty Soundcast tidbits for you in the just-born new year. Do it to it. As the executive producer of this endeavor, I want to give a great big thanks to Tyson for being on this journey with me. We're not making any money off this project, and I greatly appreciate him putting in so much time and effort to craft his episodes. Dear listener, I am wishing you a happy, safe, and reasonably sane 2022. With the Omicron variant raging right now, please take extra care during those New Year's Eve shindigs. mask up, vax up, and treat people better than you have in the previous year. And just in case anyone should happen to ask if you've heard anything good lately, won't you please pass the succotash? Happy New Year!
0: You've been listening to Suckatash, the comedy soundcast, soundcast, with your host, Mark Hershaw. brought to you by Henderson's Pants and... Imagine your company's name right here. Rate us and review us at Apple and Google Podcasts. Find us on the web at SuckatashShow.com, on Spotify, on Stitcher, on iHeartRadio, on YouTube, on SoundCloud, and wherever fine soundcasts are streamed and and or downloaded. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Suckatash Show. Like us on Facebook. Email us at marc at SuckatashShow.com. Or call into the Suckatash Skype line at our toll call number 818-921-7212 that number again is 818-921-7212 You can also upload clips from your favorite comedy soundcasts directly to us using our direct upload link at Hightail.com slash slash Suckatash. Suckatash is produced and engineered by Joe Paulino through the auspices of Studio P. Sausalito, the home of the hit. Our hosts are Mark Hershon and Tyson Saner. Our musical director is Scott Carvey. Our booth assistant is Kenny Dirges. Suckatash is executive produced by Mark Hershon. Until next time, I'm your loyal booth announcer, Bill Haywatt, reminding you to please pass the Suckatash. Goodbye.